0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.
1: Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame
2: Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you how you can use negotiation and persuasion to get more of what you want and how to make the difficult conversations in your life easier. Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to give a couple of listener shout outs. I'd like to give a shout out to Amanda from Pittsburgh and John from St. Louis. Thank you both for reaching out. You know, I love hearing from all of you. So if you haven't yet, please connect with me on LinkedIn. There's a clickable link in the episode description that takes you straight to my LinkedIn page. So just connect and I'll shoot you a message. I really want to know what kinds of topics interest you. And LinkedIn is the easiest way for me to connect with you. And for those of you who are looking for the free negotiation guides from previous episodes, like the negotiation prep guide or the introverts negotiation guide or the conflict resolution guide, those links are in the description as well. Also, if you get a chance, send me your negotiation wins. I want to make sure that I can share those on the podcast. Today, we're speaking to my friend David Mariano. David is a director with an investment bank called Western Reserve Partners, where he helps companies develop and implement acquisition strategies. David also hosts a podcast called Finance Career Launch, where his goal is to make sure you develop your full potential as a finance professional so you can contribute as much as you can to your organization and, as a result, advance your career. So, in this episode, we talk about his experience negotiating strategic business acquisitions, how to deal with conflict, and how lawyers can sometimes be deal breakers, and what my fellow attorneys can do to be better negotiators. And I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. All right. Well, David, thank you for being here today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great to be on the show. So
2: how about we get started with you telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Sure. My day job, I work at a firm called Western Reserve Partners. Our main office is in Cleveland. We have a small office in Columbus, and we advise business owners, and management teams in strategic transactions. So if they are selling their business, if it's a family-owned business that is not going to continue in the family, we can sell that for a company. We can help businesses make acquisitions and grow through an acquisition strategy. And then we also raise capital for companies. Very nice. And how long have you been doing this? Uh, About 17 years now. Most of the time, I, I had a small stint at an operating company. I worked for a private equity-owned business that manufactured large industrial gears for a few years. So I was out of the advisory space then, and part of an operating company. We did make some acquisitions while I was there, and I was involved in that.
2: Very nice. Other than that, that whole time. Very cool. So on the day to day, what does a typical
1: day in in David's life look like? <laughs> well, as in yours, there probably like you'd probably say there is no typical day, really. <laughs> right. But I mean, it ranges from being on the phone with clients or prospects talking through uh, what they're doing or trying to do, what they're hoping to do, whether it's grow by acquisition or raise capital or sell the business. And that could be over the phone. That could be in person. Being in Cleveland, we tend to cover companies for the most part in the Midwest. Uh, I spent some time up in Western New York covering that area So, we could be having those same conversations in person. We could be negotiating with the people buying or selling our clients. Uh, We could be uh, negotiating with banks and other financing sources with whom we're trying to raise capital. Uh, And then sometimes we're just spending time working with our teams internally to get that work done. The service we provide is we take a lot of the heavy lifting for these transactions, for these processes for our clients away from them so they can run their business. Because as you can imagine, business owner, that's what they're there to do, run their business. But when they have to do one of these transactions, oftentimes they hire us to handle that heavy work. So there's a lot of work that we do here with our teams to uh, get that stuff done.
2: Very nice. So I think we touched on this, but negotiation is obviously is a huge part of what you do. Right, and um, I think the the big, obvious examples of how it is that negotiation plays a role with the acquisitions, but day to day with your peers and um those everyday type of negotiations, what type of situations do you find yourself using those negotiation skills?
1: It's a lot of interactions, really, I mean, as simple as could be producing an article or a piece of marketing material, a pitch book, something that we'll be presenting to a client or a prospect, and There are often conversations, discussions, or uh, sometimes debates back and forth about how things are worded, how things are positioned, the advice we're giving, the strategy that we're recommending. I mean, those are all – I don't always look at it this way, to be honest with you, but because we're having this conversation, all those little things are mini-negotiations – could be working with your team and just coming up with ways to do things. I mean, all those little things are negotiations when you think about it.
2: Right. I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny because with this skill, you're using it to various capacities every day. You know, it's not always the big, obvious uh, deals, but always, you know, in the the day-to-day your day-to-day life as just a working professional. Uh, You're going to have to brush this off in certain capacities. So when you see yourself preparing for a big negotiation and... Comparing it to one of your smaller negotiations, what does your typical preparation look like? How do you get ready for these conversations?
1: I guess first the shorter answer is on the little day-to-day, I have to be honest, there probably isn't much preparation at all. Sometimes those things happen in the moment. You have to navigate them. Other times you have a little time. But on those bigger scenarios where we're negotiating a deal, a transaction, where we're raising capital... There's a lot of preparation involved, and there are different points in the processes where different types of negotiation, different types of preparation happen. For instance, I can take you through an example. That's the best way. So when we're selling a business, we intentionally spend a lot of time up front with our client understanding exactly what they have to offer and some of the risks, right? Some of the risks and the rewards. And because our job is to tell that story to a potential buyer to negotiate the best outcome on behalf of our clients. So we spend a lot of time analyzing all facets of the business, whether that's financial, operational, strategic, human resources, it could be engineering, Customer service. We try to dig into all of those areas and anticipate questions that will receive from buyers, both, I would say, educated and uneducated, because sometimes we go to a broad universe of people that some who understand the industry under- might understand that business model and others who might not. So we need to prepare to a level to be able to explain things in a way that's simple enough to someone who isn't quite up to speed, but also be able able to cover those issues that an educated, and I don't mean educated as in gone to school, I mean someone who's in the industry really knows the business, a competitor, someone who has true strategic knowledge. We need to be able to field questions and anticipate things that they're looking for that we can be ready for or somehow, you know, reshape in a way that positions the company in the best light. That's at the beginning. So we spend a lot of time doing that. Then we start making phone calls to potential buyers and questions come up there too. And then there's negotiations of the actual documents and agreements and price. And so I'll pause right there for a minute, but we can walk through that whole process and talk about, I mean, we're, we're negotiating the whole time from step one.
2: Right. I like this. And just a little additional background for the listeners. So the way we first met, David invited me to be on his podcast. A while back, and I definitely want you to pub this podcast, (laughs) David, while while you're here. But um, one thing I really appreciated about our interview is that you really pushed me on the financial side, um, more so than any other interview I've ever been on, and it's important. And because the world you're living in, um, the numbers are critical to success in these negotiations. So I think it would be really beneficial for the audience to hear kind of like a step-by-step process on how you do this due diligence process uh, beforehand and how you go about gathering information while negotiating the whole time. I think they'll get a lot out of this.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we do is we take a hard look at the company's historical performance. We always ask for a forecast and, Some companies are more prepared than others to prepare that forecast and actually put some thought behind it. But our job is to ask the hard questions and really dig and push and try to help. We can't create the numbers ourselves, but we can push and prod enough to help the numbers that are produced be better or at least more well thought out. So uh, we dig pretty hard into that stuff. And we even, we're not accountants though. We're business advisors, we're negotiators, we like to make deals happen, but we recommend that if a company is selling, that they go through a process with their accounting firm or maybe a slightly larger firm that has this capability to get a quality of earnings report done. Historically, quality of earnings reports were done only by buyers, and it was a way to, essentially, it's like a home inspection. If you're buying a business, you get a quality of earnings report done, it really investigates the earnings. Is the cash flow there? Are the numbers that were presented true? Are they accurate? And can we be confident in their accounting policies going forward? It's just like the home inspection that you would have done if you're buying a house. Well, now we recommend, and people are doing more often, is getting these quality of earnings reports done.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.
1: If they're selling ahead of even talking to buyers so that they're ready for these really detailed questions that might come up, they may, Kwame, you can appreciate, like the law, that's what accounting, accounting rules are laws, and you can interpret them in slightly different ways. It doesn't mean one is right or wrong, but you could interpret it one way and the buyer is doing it a different way. And that does affect the value equation in the negotiation between the two of you. So you want to know that you want to know if things exist there that some buyer may see in question, not like, or it may be just confusing to them. So if you know it ahead of time, it's part of your preparation to, again, anticipate those questions and be more prepared to answer them and come with a stronger position up front.
2: Right. And what I like about your field when it comes to the style of negotiation you have to do is that it's really an information game. Um, these numbers really matter when you're working out these multi-million dollar deals. And so a lot of times you can do a lot of due diligence on your own um, and a lot of research on your own. But sometimes we have to just get the information from the other side through asking those hard questions, like you said. So sometimes, I'm sure this has probably happened a couple times to you, those numbers might be a little bit rosier than you anticipated. And so if you have a feeling that somebody is not really being that honest with the numbers, what is it that you can do to make sure that uh, you're doing the best thing you can for your client and getting proper intel?
1: Well, we don't run into that too often, only because I think it's hard to get that far without having a sense for the person's character and you know, how they do business, the reputation of the market. So if we're actually, and you're talking about if we're advising the buyer, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. So if we're advising the buyer, I think we'd want to have a conversation with our client about if we get a sense that we can't quite trust the numbers, maybe I think we would want to get some external help or maybe our client has some, you know, internal accounting professionals that can help us dig into it. And then I think they need to look themselves um, hard in the mirror and just you know, have that heart to heart with their own team and that honest conversation of is this really strategic enough where they should continue down the path? If the numbers maybe weren't accurate because of the leader or a single person, is that person going to continue with the business? If not, maybe it makes sense to continue to pursue. I mean, for most of our clients, if they detect true dishonesty and character issues at the top, they probably won't want to pursue that business. That's really the short answer of it.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's one thing uh, people are concerned about when it comes to negotiation. Um, just making sure that it's like, yeah, I can ask all these questions, but how do I know <laughs> I'm getting the right answers? But uh, you brought up a really great point there because when it comes to these deals, you always have to focus on the relationship. And in addition to doing your due diligence on the number side, you're doing your due diligence on the person's reputation and character. Mm-hmm. So um, if you do that the right way, when it comes to researching the person and their character, you can kind of go through the rest of the negotiation relatively certain or relatively confident that uh, everything's going to be above board.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and- when we're selling a company, we sometimes see a buyer. Whether they, oftentimes the financial guys do this more, but they'll do a background check. They'll they'll pay for someone to do a background check, but it's still it's later in the process where they. I think most of them view that as just a checking of the box mm-hmm. <laughs> because they've done enough work up front. They've feel good about the relationship they have built, and I mean you can get, get a sense for people sometimes too if they. If they feel good about the person, they may still do the background check, but hope that, you know, just expect that it comes back with nothing because they've done that work up front. But it's, you know, the true, you know, background check things tend to happen later in the process.
2: Right. All right. That's good. Um, In your experience as a working professional, I'm sure there have been instances where there's been conflict, either conflict on your team or conflict with the other party. Um, Whenever those conflicts come up, what kind of skills or tactics do you use to diffuse the situation and and get back on the same page?
1: Yeah. And those can be tough. Sometimes, unfortunately, they do fall apart and and they can't be brought back together because people spent so much time and energy and they they're tired, right? What we try to do is is to refocus people back on why they started the process in the first place. If we're selling the company, you know they, they decided to sell the company for some reason or another, right? They don't have family in the business. They know they're going to retire in a few years and need to do something. They can feel good about the process we ran, hopefully, because we've talked to enough people to know that they're getting the best deal. But sometimes it does get hard to, people get stuck on one issue, right? And that tends to, sometimes one issue creates a fight. We don't see too many fight fights, but it can create tension that can feel overwhelming. And it's at the end of the process, unfortunately, sometimes. (laughs) Um, I wish we could bring all the issues, the big issues to the front and take care of those at the beginning, because when you're at the end, it's sometimes exhausting. But yeah, I mean, we just try to refocus our clients uh, we try to, even the other side, even though we're not working for them, we try to continue to highlight, listen, we know this isn't exactly what you expected or whatever, And but here's the business you're still getting. You know, 95% of what you wanted is here. And oh, by the way, here's a few things that you didn't expect that are better than you thought. So we just try to come, we try to have conversations that lead people to the point of getting to an agreement and try not to let it get stuck too often at certain spots if sometimes i don't know what your experience sometimes it feels like if it stalls for too long at a certain moment that's when things go sideways keeping people moving forward keeping people focused on coming to an agreement i think is is what we what we try to do
2: yeah and that's a really solid strategy because uh it's like you said, it, once people kind of get in, uh, that narrow focus on a single issue of contention, yeah, it's tough. You don't really move. And sometimes it seems like those issues could be diametrically opposed. But then when you broaden your perspective, you're like, hey, hey, remember, <laughs> remember why we're still here? You know, what's the ultimate goal? And I agree. Broadening that perspective can uh, get that momentum so things can start moving in, in the right direction again.
1: Yeah. I mean, and sometimes we're, every deal we're working with guys like you with lawyers and and sometimes accountants. And I mean, sometimes there's a legal solution to things that maybe we haven't thought of. And so we're, there's a full team effort. Everyone's trying to work to find a solution that will make both sides as happy as possible. As challenging as that seems, and it is sometimes, it's a full team effort of constant conversations and ideas and creativity of trying to come to a solution that works. And sometimes it's a legal solution, sometimes there's insurance that takes care of issues. And there's, I feel like there's always a way as long as people stay focused on that end goal and want to keep moving forward and can. It's hard with these because it, it is personal, but. If we can kind of focus on the business issues and not be too emotional about it, sometimes that tends to work out better.
2: Right, and um, I, I want to really highlight this for the listeners too, because what you didn't say is you try and come up with forceful ways to persuade or convince or push through the uh, the, the barriers that you're facing those those points of contention. You resort to creativity and you work with the other people. You know, essentially what you're what you're saying is that it's a it's almost like a joint brainstorming session, you know, so it's like, oh, we have this problem. What are some ways that we can come together and figure out a way to address this in a way that satisfies all of our needs?
1: Yeah, that's a great point, because in fact, when you asked me this question initially, (laughs) some examples popped up in my head where not our side, but the other side, I felt like we were being attacked. And uh, I hate to say it, but it was the attorneys a couple of times where they're just, you know, these big city guys that are just, you know, really forceful and in their language, their tone, they come at you with this aggression sometimes that is just, it doesn't help. Right. I mean, coming with these stances and positions like I've never seen this ever in my career, I've done this. It's, it's like, really? Come on. I mean, <laughs> I mean, people say things like that. And our job is to be OK with that, be used to it and deal with it. But if our client who is going through this for the first time or the only time hears that or has to experience that, they have a harder time with it because they're not used to dealing with that and they just want to say, hey, go pound salt. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> and you're right. I, I will say this, you know, in, in my time when I have had the opportunity to present at um, local and state bar associations to different attorneys. And um, one of the things I always say is like, because of our background as as lawyers, in many ways, we are at a disadvantage when it comes to effective negotiation, because the way that we're trained is that there's uh, one side and another side. It's an adversarial type of interaction with lawyers. Mm -hmm. And it's a situation where it's a zero-sum game. Our legal arguments cannot exist within the same world. And so then when you take that same perspective and bring it to the business world, you're going to run into a lot of problems as, as a lawyer, because lawyers are often seen in this deal as deal breakers, not deal makers, because they think that it's only one way to get through. And it's like you said, in your experience, sometimes it could be combative. And when Mm -hmm. people attack you, the natural human response is to get defensive. And when you have the attack defense um, scenario going on, it's very little um, brainstorming and creativity happening because you're too busy trying to tear down the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so to all my lawyer uh, brethren and sister <laughs> out there, uh, take take note here because uh that's something that we all have to deal with. Cause we are we're super competitive. Super competitive. And and just a quick note, this is a fun story. Um we have uh in, in law school we have these intramural sports teams that we play. And, um, you know, we're we're nerds here. We're bookworms. But that doesn't stop us from being hyper competitive <laughs> in whatever it is we're doing. Uh, yeah. So the arguments that the that we experience in these sports leagues as law students are just out of control. And it, it's, it's just who we are. So a lot of times when you're that alpha, a, a type personality, um, it could be a serious barrier when you try to translate that to the business world and, and try to get stuff done.
1: Oh, yeah. So back to the the scenario that I work in every day, we may be leading the negotiations, but it's on behalf of our client. And we're no different than lawyers, right? I mean, we we have egos and we want to be right. We set a valuation and we want to be right. We want to deliver on promises that we had to our clients. But in the end, it's a negotiated deal, right? We may go through an academic exercise to value a business and then all of a sudden we get into the market and it's different one way or the other, up or down. And there's all sorts of dynamics. There's the relationship between you and your client. There's the relationship between you and, and the actual buyer. And there's the relationship between you and the buyer's advisors. And it's just all these dynamics that I mean, it, it's amazing that things get done sometimes when you think about it and that, in those terms with a bunch of you know hyper competitive type A egomaniacs <laughs> trying to get things done together. <laughs> right.
2: Oh, man, I'm so glad you said that because I, I realize this is something that I, I don't think I've explicitly brought up in this podcast before, but you brought up another interesting element of negotiation that a lot of times people overlook is an analysis of the parties involved because whenever you're negotiating, you're not just negotiating with the person with whom you're talking to, you know, the person who you're talking to. It's you, they need to go and check with other people. You need to check with people on your team. And so it's never really a, a two-party negotiation. When you really expand the scope of your analysis, you recognize that there are often four or five, six people that you need to consider right. throughout this process. And that adds Significantly more layers of complexity um, when it comes to your efficacy as an advocate or if you're the one advocating for yourself uh, your efficacy as a just a business person trying to get stuff done
1: yeah absolutely I mean there's I simplified it greatly by just the parties I did mention but there's the the spouse of the business owner there's I mean there's so many so many factors that involve that um, sometimes it get pretty complicated but, but yeah at least thinking and considering who's involved is critical I think part of the preparation
2: right. Hey, well, you know, this is a good opportunity as ever to say, remember to all the listeners, we have that free negotiation guide that'll help you walk through this analysis in a systematic way. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash prep, you can get that uh, negotiation guide that'll help you go through the this analysis with regard to the people involved the questions you should ask and uh, different things you can do to be ready for that and i think i offered that to your your audience too when i was on your show right you did yeah nice you did, thank you yeah, yeah yeah us podcasters need to stick together
1: <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely
2: that's awesome well we're coming up on time here but i want to uh ask what is one tip that you'd give to the audience before you go
1: I would say just as much as possible, as much as you can, you know, take that time to prepare. Think about, really try to get in touch with what you're trying to accomplish, get in touch with what the other person is trying to accomplish, and then have those open conversations about trying to meet those objectives I have to admit, even in, in what we do, I don't know that we do a, you know, a perfect job of that all the time. I mean, we when you're working on behalf of a client, you're trying to get the very best you can for them. And sometimes it's easy to forget that to actually make something happen, you need a party on the other side that will agree with or be okay with what you want as well. So sometimes I think thinking through the the real, true things that are important to you And not being so stuck on certain positions, I think is it's hard to do, but I think it's important to do at the beginning and as you go along, as things unfold, as conversations happen, as information is revealed, continue to check back with, well, why am I doing this? What's really important to me? Is that still true? What has become important to me now and what might have fallen off? And I think, I hope that that can create better outcomes
2: overall. I agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was really great. And I know the audience is going to get a lot out of this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're finding this information helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. My goal is to teach these skills to as many people as possible. And leaving a review helps our search results, which helps us to reach more people. Success and failure is determined by how well we handle the critical conversations in our lives. My job is to help you to make these difficult conversations easier while getting you more of what you want in the process. I've had the opportunity to work with a wide variety of professionals, including lawyers, entrepreneurs, warring business partners, and professionals trying to climb the corporate ladder. I do this through a simple three-step process, analyze, strategize, and practice. So first, we analyze the situation to get a lay of the land and understand what we're dealing with. Then we use the information from our analysis to create a customized strategy for your situation. And then we practice, which will give you the confidence you need to stand firm when the heat is on in these difficult conversations. If you don't prepare properly, you run the risk of missing out on these critical opportunities. Remember, negotiation is the art of deal discovery, not deal making. I will help you to find the best deal possible and I'll teach you how and when to walk away from a deal that's bad for you. Sometimes the worst outcome in a negotiation is a deal that should never have been made. By the end of this process, you're going to feel confident in your ability to perform and you will have put yourself in the best position to succeed. If you'd like to work with me, all you need to do is shoot me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn and we can get started. But in the meantime, please check out all of the free resources we have at the website, AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week and I'll catch you in the next one.